0: Right. Welcome to a uh, special episode of & Clear with the uh, CEO and founder of Quantum Metric, a company we've known now for a couple of years. Uh please welcome to the stage Mario Chibara. <laughs> Thanks Tony. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. We we're just discussing the pronunciation of of his name and uh how he uploaded that to LinkedIn and how it's a uh, Half serious, half joke, but definitely playing play tribute to your Italian roots for sure, right? The the Italian roots and and probably
1: my personality, which is uh, as we were, as we were mentioning earlier, if you can't have a couple laughs while you're you know building a dragon, uh, I, I think you're in the wrong kind of business. You got you got to have a
0: good time when you're when you're building this, and I, I bet you could you could share a few stories along those lines as well. Could not agree more. I think that's why we uh, we get along so well and why why our partnership works. Um, but you know, in, in this sort of spirit of how small the world is and how quickly it's changing as well, we were just reminiscing that it was actually um uh Whitney Yang who introduced us right after she left Google. She was someone that we were working very closely with at Google Cloud. And uh to our surprise, she left. But then you know, she ended up at Quantum Metric and and she she kind of pulled the teams together. Um Almost right away, you know, a couple of months after starting, and uh, you came to our headquarters. We met you and a bunch of other executives, and your platform. I remember when you demoed it; definitely left an impression. Like, wow, you know, they're doing something very special. And then fast forward, you know, you guys have raised a bunch of money, seen a bunch of success, and now you're, you know, tightly, you know, integrated and partnered with us and with Google Cloud. Which you never know how. You know the universe is going to bring people back together. Yeah, yeah, it's been exciting. I mean, it's it, it's been a
1: long journey. I remember that meeting uh, fairly well. Love your offices, and uh, it's you know the, the interconnectedness of people as you go through startups. Just you never know, um, kind of like where one touch point might lead. And it's it's been a it's been a tremendous journey both with GCP and Sata, and uh, you know. Obviously, don't want to just gush uh, on our podcast and say thank you too many times, but you know the partnership has been incredible. So, so thank you to
0: you and team. I appreciate it. In a lot of ways, we're just getting started. But um, speaking of you know founding companies, this is not your first rodeo uh, at Quantum Metric. Um You're I don't know if you're a self-described serial entrepreneur, but some people might say that. Um, you know what I love to talk about always on on these shows is you know the background and the history and the origin story of my guest, but also, of course, leading up to the foundation and the origin story of quantum metric itself. So if you'd indulge us for a few minutes, that'd be
1: fantastic. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tony. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it starts off with I'm the youngest of six kids. You'll see that in my personality, but you'll see it in my drive. I think as the, young, as the younger of a larger family, you kind of have to fight. You learned really young to just fight for what you uh, needed. Um, my, my father immigrated from Italy uh, in his 20s. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of something special there as well as as we look at founder success and and you Tony from Armenia, um, you know my dad from Italy, uh, you know I just there's something about that first generation that we just I think we have, I don't know if it's a chip on our shoulder but we just want to go prove well, we just want to go conquer the world I guess is probably yeah. the best uh, yeah. things to, to share um, and you know in my in my early twenties uh, you know I had an idea. Um, that I just, I saw a challenge around how do you present data in the technology side of the world? Uh, it was an early APM play and it just knocked it out of the park. I, you know, I, I always find myself very fortunate that things work out. And, you know, I sold that company to a company called it, uh who it later acquired Dynatrace, Dynatrace to replace it. So I had some uh, great success in the APM space. Um, had some fun in the iPhone world, turned the iPhone into a Wi-Fi hotspot 18 months before Apple did, created the notification center five years before Apple did. Really, it's just like, it's been for me, that really, it's 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 that early, for the first couple of companies, and really the early days here at Quantum, it's been about like, how do I create great product? Um, I, I think one of the most fun parts about my journey at Quantum, like the first three companies were all just a few people big. We've had you know some outsized success for those few people, but... With quantum, it was. I I learned early on, uh, as we hit about fifteen people, that you know, if you want to build a multi-billion-dollar success, you you can't get there by just creating great product. It it had to be about having great people. And uh, I I think I've heard the word, and I I know the culture at Sada is fantastic. Or I, you know, probably wouldn't be spending a lot of this time with you. Um, I, I I would say at Quantum Metric, um, what became critical was. How do we create a great culture? And, and we've heard it. And I and I've said to people like, what does that even mean to create a, a culture? Um, and about 15 people in, I realized there were attributes of people that I loved. And there's attributes that I just didn't really want to spend time with certain types of people. And I, I, I just try to figure out and nail it. And, and it, it really came down to three. I think there's a power of three in just nature and it's mm-hmm. passion persistence and integrity you know passionate people they show up to work because they want to be there and you think about people have uh are scared of remote work by the way i don't know before right. the pandemic people were really sure. scared of remote work now we have no choice right but but one of the things that, that leaders and I, I think like leaders that just haven't really explored it they were scared that like are you going to show up and work when you can be in your pajamas at home etc like there's yeah. they had this thought In the back of your mind i don't know kind of how it's been at sata but for quantum you know we we, before we were always a remote team but in the early days even of me i was like how do i know that people are showing up to work and working hard and passionate people i just don't worry like i actually worry about the opposite to be honest like i hope you make time for yourself your family your friends because you're so passionate about what you do um this is you know it shouldn't just be your only part of your life and and persistence if you sign up to get something across the finish line, do it. Like, I, I don't want to micromanage or babysit. Like, I, it's not what I signed up for. And I, I honestly believe that the only difference between success and failure is that people that failed stopped trying. Like, I, I'm not perfect and I don't get everything right, but I will get it across the finish line. So I really do believe in that persistence and integrity. I've had people with the first two attributes and they, didn't, they weren't honest with themselves, their peers, our customers. I didn't enjoy it and I didn't want to work with those types of people. And so, um, you know, here at Quantum Metric, we, we 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 put those values into everything we do. I interview every team member still. We're rounding the corner at 200 team members. Wow. And I, uh, yeah, I still interview each one. And and I'm, when I my interview, like typically we've already assessed skill sets. They're already a great fit. I want to make sure that A, they know how important those three attributes are to me and that they exemplify them as well. Um, so that's a bit of the journey from this, um, you know my my history and i think what's most important at quantum is is building a culture i mean i think that's the ceo the founder's role is build a great culture and everything else is ha- sort of fall into place if you if you take yeah. care of your people they'll create great product uh they'll make their customers happy and we'll get all the sales that you want i think sometimes people are so focused on building the company that they think the opposite they're like all right let's make sure we we get new sales let's take care of customers and you know kind of people are expendable but we can always get more of those uh, and I, I think they they might miss uh, out on, on on that massive part of success when they do it that way.
0: Yeah, no, I think bringing that same philosophy to a product company, to me, seems pretty refreshing. Um, we've lived in a services world for 20 years. Uh, we have a little bit of experience with products, stuff that we've done with Insata, but we service, all, you know, we have lots of customers who are product companies themselves. And uh, the ones we get along with the most, I think have that similar cultural alignment in terms of just customer obsession, et cetera. But you can't convey customer obsession unless people love working there at Quantum Metric.
1: Yep, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I'm not trying to be a commercial for Glassdoor, but I would tell you, you know, I, I look at Glassdoor before we sign a contract and I don't wanna do business with a company that their own team members don't like working there, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so um, I, I, I love getting a uh, perspective into a company from the actual inside. It, it's, it's very uh, unveiling of,
0: of what the organization truly treasures. You know what? We were uh, we just launched our rebrand, as you as you've seen. We spent two or three months interviewing all sorts of, you know, well-known companies, not well-known companies. And um, there was one that we, we interviewed in LA who seemed brilliant. Like, oh my God, like these people are brilliant. Look at the work they do. They had like a 1.8 on the glass door. And I <laughs> called the founder when we were gonna tell him no, like no. And I had to, t- I told him why. I was like, dude, I yep. have to tell you this brother. Yeah, this is not a good look. I can't like, how, as much as we obsess, over creating the best people experience for those at SADA. How can we ever have a partner yep. who's a 1-8 or whatever they were? <laughs> it's so funny you mentioned that because it's a, the it's a first time I've, that Glassdoor has killed a vendor yep. engagement with yep. us that I was involved with. But I, I agree with you. It's, it's very much the birds of the feather philosophy. And, and you know what's interesting, Mario, is I think that when we were smaller, and probably you can kind of, uh, you know, you've been you've been small many times as you've started from the ground up. And for us, it's maybe a little unique in that we never really had any funding, so we couldn't always pay up for market sort of and, and, and be an attractive place to work because we couldn't point to some funding round. <laughs> I remember thinking the first 10, 12, 15 years of SADA, that like, man, it's really hard to find great people. There are just not that many of them. And you know what it was, actually? It was the fact that we didn't know ourselves, you know, the fit that you're talking about. Like, we couldn't articulate what that fit was, A. B, we also, of course, just didn't have the size and the scale to be able to, you know, pay, you know, really good market rates and and be a competitive place to work when we're competing for essentially a lot of the same talent as the biggest of companies. But now I've realized when you get those things right, there's a lot of good people out there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think
1: some people might over rotate on experience and intelligence. And I love those, by the way, I'm not not downplaying them. But what I found, it trumps it every time, passion, persistence, and integrity. And I I was, I have the the lucky fortune of of having the opportunity to work closely with John Chambers, the the former CEO of, of Cisco, and and he's been a great coach, mentor, and advisor. And I, I remember the first early conversations, how he just Mario, fo- you know, focus on culture, focus on people, um, and 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 like it, it's just it sounds so obvious and it sounds so easy. But I'll tell you, I remember distinctly you know, early on as we built the company, I didn't know what it meant. I just didn't know what it meant. Now I know what it meant. It just sounds right. so obvious, but but how, you know, conveying to to the listeners to this podcast, I, I think about. You've gotta find, like you said, like who you are and then sure. and then repeat it in the DNA in the culture of the team, and keep finding people, and it doesn't mean they should look the same. I love diversity um you know, fr- from all different perspectives because it will bring uh, you know you don't get an echo chamber that way, and it will, right. you know in, in history and time has over and over, that diversity leads to greater success. But get people to have this common thread around um the passions of the of the people in the company uh, and it's transformative. It's, it's, uh, you know, John just coached over and over. It's like, you, you've got to build, you gotta, you gotta get away for the people. To do the things that you would have done if you weren't there, like, even when you're not there, like, and, and you, you, what are those attributes that define you as a team, as a company, uh, and then it can scale without you having to
0: be part of all of it. Yeah. And you know what? And I think there's nothing more, uh, of a test than a black swan global tragedy slash health crisis slash economic uncertainty period like we're going through still right now to kind of surface all those things like the cultural attributes of any company you can't hide in the midst of a crisis yeah everything bad and good gets accentuated so i don't know what you've seen but i've been floored by i think what would otherwise be a big concern which is are people going to show up or people are like really stepped up and i was just so incredibly proud um you probably experienced the same but then the same the, the fears around. oh my god are they gonna burn out how do we you know balance them out it's <laughs> like yeah i worry about I, I think the most fun
1: part about the, the the way that we work shift is that you know you can like i, I happen to be you happen to call me a day that i i randomly was uh you know stopping by the office so you know it's nice to have a fun background but but normally you get to see in the people's homes, you get to see a little bit more of the character of who they are. You see their dogs, their cats, their their children, their partners, yeah. you know, walking into the background saying hi. I think it's 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 connected us in a more human way um than we've ever had in in, the, in professionally in, in, in my work experience. So um, you know, there's not there's not it's not all bad. I mean, yes, like there's some terrible things and there's some terrible challenges that we yeah. have to overcome as an entire, you know, uh, you know, class of of People of, of of human beings, um, but what's exciting is is that there there are good changes that are happening because of it,
0: and uh, you know I'm, I'm thankful for that. No, absolutely. To be in a position to um, help and serve our customers, our people. I remember like the the extent that we had to convey flexibility in the first few months and people's you know work you know work experience at home and childcare and health issues and and our customers like payments and other things like the flexibility, just to be in a position to help was, was incredible. And um, and obviously the human toll is 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 huge at the same time, like, you know, focusing on how we can help, like, how can we help these companies then transform so they're not only surviving in the midst of this pandemic, but able to thrive because we're helping them pivot. And I think that's a great pivot to quantum metric in the product itself, and this concept of continuous product design um, that you've really coined and brought to market. So can you just tell the listeners what your company does, what the product does? Uh, that'd be awesome to, to hear just from the founder's mouth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I,
1: you know, I, continuous product design is really a concept around like what made digital successes, Some in some cases they were digital natives and, you know, if we think about a company like Netflix, I think, Tony, you probably remember Netflix wasn't digital native. I used no. to get DVDs in the mail, right? Um, you know, The younger generations might only know Netflix as a, as a, as a digital company. But, but for us, uh, and I, I still think they actually serve uh, physical DVDs in the mail uh, for some customers. But, but, but how do we get companies to look like the success of a Netflix, to look like the success of a Google uh, you know, and others, uh, Airbnb and others? Um, and, and I think that's really what's embedded in continuous product design. If you look at someone like Eric Schmidt in 2014 shared with the world, a presentation that, you know, this is why Google is successful. He talked about most enterprises optimized for minimizing risk, not freedom and speed. And so what you end up in that scenario is like a bunch of silos of data. And really like the only person that had the purview where the people at the top that could make decisions, so you have this choke point, you have this slow iteration of, of product, uh, life cycle. And if you have an inertia of a really large enterprise, uh, maybe you have a large physical presence, you've got 100,000 employees, it's really hard to compete with that. Like eventually you see those things topple, um, but it takes a long time to really slow that organization down. They've already got the momentum, but eventually they, they will lose unless they adapt. And what, what, what Eric shared was like, you know, what Google did successfully was like, what if I empower my workforce to have the same data, as the people at the top, they had the same visibility, and what really or, you know, organizations have done for millennia is this it's a very simple thing is listen to your customer. You know, even, you know, Bezos talks about like this obsession with the customer, right? Uh, Eric Schmidt's talking about that, that same thing at, at Google, obsess about the customer, get data about the customer into the hands of everyone on your team in real time. And now you, you can have this, you can maximize for speed and you can maximize maximize for the freedom of each individual who. who can contribute, it's not just one person's assets and knowledge and experience, but you're taking advantage of your entire organization's experiences and getting them to make decisions in real time. I, I talked to, I went in and talked to a bank and I said, nope, we, we listen to other customers, we obsessed about them. I'm like, okay, how, how, how do you do that? And they said, well, we, we have surveys. I'm like, okay, uh, tell me about the process. And they said once a month and I said, stop right there. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> I, I actually let them continue, but in my mind I'd stopped right there. Once yeah. a month, they get together and go over surveys that customers have left them, survey responses. And, and, and it's like, you, you listen to your customers once a month. Imagine the bank, the organization that listens to the customer every minute of the day, yeah. and think about who will win. And what, what it comes out to be is like, you don't have to be the smartest person in the world, you have to be the fastest person in the world. That's mm-hmm. what makes companies most successful, because at the end of the day, if you take six months to release something and you're the smartest person, but somebody else who might not be as, um, you know, fortune telling as you or, or predictive as you, but they iterate every minute, they they, they keep experimenting every minute, they're going to crush
0: yeah. it. Yeah, adaptability, it's very Darwinian. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And continuous product design is about, you know, how do, I, how do I tear down the silos? If you look at something like DevOps, something that you and I have been just a part of this journey for the last 20 years, Think about the impact it made on an organization, but what part? The technology side, right? Between dev and ops, they removed the silo and, and accelerated the communication, the data, trans, you know, d- the data communication and, uh, just the organization's functional success between dev and ops. But why do we stop in technology? What if we could take those same learnings and apply them across the business? And so if you ask a business who's responsible for delivering the product for delivering a digital product or digital channel. It's it's much more than technology. So yeah. there's dev and there's ops. Before developers develop, there's product. They're 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 deciding and designing what to create. And then after ops delivers, you have to have someone listening, someone discovering how uh, customers are engaging. That's typically voice of customer, call centers, etc. So if we can get this kind of data across product, dev, ops, voice of customer, call center, analytics, executives. We get the same perspective across all these organizations. We can remove the their little silos. And at the end of the day. Customers don't call, and I think your database is not working well, it's, um, I, you know, you know, or your network, or your server. You're talking about my experience is not working, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and we can get that kind of same perspective. What happened to the customer across the entire organization? They become highly, a highly functioning team. They become massively successful. They can iterate uh, at speed and at scale, and it turns out that's how companies succeed. That's what Eric Schmidt talked about, what happened at Google. It's why, it's why Netflix releases 2,000 iterations of software a day. And it doesn't matter if you just release 2,000 things a day. It they have to be 2,000 things that move the needle. And how do you right. know what's going to move the needle? So getting yeah. that data about how customers interact is,
0: is how we become successful. And that's what continuous product design is, is about. But then to go dig, dig a little deeper on the technology side. How does it actually work? Because I think that's some of the magic. A lot of the magic is like this process becomes invisible to the user. Because if you're just depending on like a proactive, I'm going to take 30 seconds and give you my feedback. You're only yeah. catching like the extreme cases of dissatisfaction, right? Or extreme cases of happiness or whatever in a way that you can't even action. But like, let's talk about the tech. Because the tech, again, I was like so impressed with when you demoed it to us. And I'm sure it's come a long way since the last time I really looked at it deeply. It it, it, it truly
1: has. But yeah, I'll, I'll explain it um, in the way that my my 13-year-old daughter, like so... so um, Our- her 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 friends ask her so what is it that your dad does and and she says well have you ever gone to a website and i, I think you know we work across many industries from banking and retail and insurance and telcos and airlines but I, you know my daughter doesn't think about you know telcos right that much um but she does think about buying things online so she explains it to her friends in the retail setting and she says have you ever gone to a website and try to buy something and the website doesn't work and honestly even at age 13 they're like yeah and and i, I they say i hate that i'm i'm so frustrated and then you know, what do you do when it happens to you? Her friends say, I just leave. And she says, Well, that's what my dad helps with. Now, her 13 year old story stops there. I'll, I'll continue it. Um, and, and so the question you have to ask yourself is how many of the people had that same bad experience at that same part of the website on that same day? How much does it cost that business? And when you are the business, how do you find out about it? So, what we do at Quantum is, you know, it's funny that same. Uh, daughter uh, Tessa, it was her birthday a few months ago, and she's trying to buy. You know, she wanted to get a new bed. I said, "Okay, let's 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 go shop for a new bed." is during the pandemic. You know, it's uh, a fun way to spend her time. Is it? You know, it's turning 13, and we were shopping for a bed. And the funniest thing happened. She clicked add to cart, and uh, the add to cart button didn't work. And you know what she did? And because we all do this, mm-hmm. she clicked it five times. She yeah. rage clicked oh. the add to cart button, right? All yeah. the. <laughs> And, and then, she, and then, you know, what what we all do is we hit reload, and then we hit back, and then we hit forward, and and so what we discovered and at quantum... We the browser, all, we do all sorts yeah. of work, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, close your browser, start it over again, right? And so what we discovered is, well, what if we look at people's behavior, and we find some of these things that we all, you know, uh, exhibit when we're having a frustrating experience, and if we could use a petabyte scale analytics platform, we're going to talk about GCP in a minute, but if we talk, if we can take an analytics system and build this data scientist knowledge about, you know how much is it costing our business? We can obviously the identification, quantification, prioritization of these problems, we can get, then get teams to align on, on where they can make the biggest impact of the business. So we were able to use a massive scale compute to say, you know what, this issue costs us $15 million uh, you know, in revenue. That issue costs you three, and this issue costs you one. So we can aggregate around behaviors and then we can quantify it. Because you know what, the, what I hear from a lot of, especially in the early days um, of quantum, We have a thousand problems. I don't need you to tell us about our problem. I already know about a thousand problems. But what 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 organizations lack was the ability to quantify the problem because I do have a thousand problems. Which one should I go and address
0: first? Yeah, Yeah. We all have limited, you know, resources, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the problem. I have limited resources. How do I focus the teams on having the biggest impact to the business? And so, so we deploy the technology side is you know we deploy using JavaScript so we can actually get up and running in the same day. Within the first 24 hours, almost every one of our customers has, has found millions or tens of millions of dollars in the first 24 hours. Why? Because it turns out running websites is actually really hard and it's like death by a thousand cuts. And you know, yes, you knew about a thousand issues, but you didn't know which ones were actually impacting your business and you didn't work on those ones. You did kind of, the team kind of worked on them. You know, maybe in a squeaky wheel approach. And so
0: um exactly. So yeah. it's
1: it's been great. And then from um an a native app experience, um, you know, we can deploy via an SDK in
0: an iOS and in Android. Yeah, because the mobile is, you know, is a huge part of how people uh consume or or engage in commerce. And even though desktop, you know your data probably shows desktop's making a little bit of a comeback in the midst of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i i yeah
1: honestly um i I get to talk to a lot lots of different uh, executive leaders, and you know what happened for all of these businesses is that you know as we can all expect, we all personally moved our lives online um and it was just you know a massive shift of behavior of you know if we think about retail obviously consumer behavior all moved to digital um you know in a matter of a few days and so yeah it was uh you know a big a big acceleration big adoption my 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 eighty one year old mom shops online banks online purchase groceries online um that was that was a big shift and i don't think after this you know after we get a vaccine or after we we start to solve solve this across the world i don't think she's going to go back to banking in person i i think you know digital has taken 10 steps forward
0: and it's going to be you know massively here to stay that is exactly my hypothesis as well and i realized that in my own family you know early days um and we work with a lot of healthcare customers early days it took something like this to create the i think user experience of, of, of a different way of engaging you know a, a grocery store or your doctor but but not that those methods weren't available before it's just like you didn't think, you couldn't get over the hump of like that's not going to be a good experience right um but then this pandemic had forced those sort of new muscle memory and behavior to, to, to actually happen for the first time. And to your point, accelerated five or 10 years. You might've tried it five years from now. You tried it now, but that's not going back. Some of it might go back, but um, that behavior change is permanent. So I think that's when your customers, our joint customers, like it's really the onus is on them. Like they're not solving for the pandemic. They're solving for A, the future, Right, which is going to be more and more digital. That we know, but we're they're really solving for all potential unknown uh, versions of the future because we're not going to know exactly what it is. What we do know is that most organizations were not operating in a posture that was ready for anything, and now that has to change. Like you have to be ready for anything. I think two things happened. You know, one when
1: digital was 10% of your business, you know, people didn't care as much about what was happening on digital. Now that it's 90 to 100% of your business, all eyes. I I've talked to an executive who said, "Yep, it was always, you know, store sales, then product, and then it was e-com." That's what we that's the order in which we talked about it in our executive team. Now when he walks in the room, everyone like hushes up and says, How's ecom, right? Like that's the number one thing that execs want to talk about yeah. in, in, you know, in, the, in these large enterprises because that's where their business is. Um, so I think there's that massive shift where it became, you know, larger part of the business. And I think the second part is, you know, it, it, if it, it doesn't matter which industry you're in, I think, for example, the experiences that we like the best experiences that we've had. If you think about a digital experience that you've had that was fantastic you sort of start to think about, well, everyone should have that bar just because you had a great retail experience. Now, when you're at a bank, you kind of say to yourself, like, oh. I want a great experience in my banking app and, and, and my insurance app and my airline booking and, and so on and so forth. And uh, you know, you think about banks, I don't know about you, Tony, have you had an experience on your banking app and said, wow, that was amazing. I loved my experience on my banking app. And I think consumer demand and expectations are now saying, I want that to be easy. And you're yeah. getting small, nimble, digital first companies to deliver on that and larger enterprises are saying, how do we do that? And they all say to themselves, totally. I yeah, I don't have the I don't have the DNA, I don't have the muscle memory you said, I don't have the muscle memory. And they're wondering to themselves, how do I do that? So I, I think much more about quantum, not as a analytics company, as a digital experience company, but how do we change the culture of an organization to have empathy around the customer and iterate to deliver those fantastically delightful experiences?
0: Yeah, I mean there's cultural issues with that and, and I think that's where uh, the journey to Google Cloud is unique. It almost forces a culture shift for a lot of our customers. Um, but the other side, as you mentioned, banking and travel was, I, was kind of funny and ironic about that. Is, is we're seeing now these bare metal to GCP projects, like Oracle to GCP, and we've won a, a handful of those now. And what's interesting is that you know the banking apps, you could argue, have gotten marginally better. But it's a little bit of the lipstick on a pig scenario, just like with travel. And because the back end is essentially mainframe, you know, there's only so much they can do, right? With the sort of the web hooks and that layer and, and, and mobile SDKs and stuff. Um, so there's a lot of work to do, I think, in the years ahead to enable, like, what, why, can, why is Robinhood a much better app? Well, they're not, they don't have, or SoFi. far like legacy, have, yeah it's for hundreds, you
1: know, running there. Um, you know, I, I think some of the challenges that that happened is, is, is not only the legacy systems, but it's like you said, that DNA muscle memory. Like, if you think about the early days of the pandemic, we, we, we had, um, you know, PPP loans came about and I got an email from my bank, uh, every day from the CEO of the bank saying, uh, Hey, we're going to be, uh, PPP loans will be up tomorrow. And every day I got that same, Hey, sorry. Um, we didn't quite get the application ready yet. Uh, it should be up tomorrow. Five days in a row, I got that same email. And the and the challenge for banks, for example, is they just don't have that muscle memory of like how do I how do I iterate with speed. Like typically, it's a six to six month to twelve project. They had like six days to get yeah. this banking application, and at the same time, all the requirements were changing each day. And so, how do you get them to have that visibility to have that iteration with speed and scale? Because you think about it, the banks that got their applications out first got the, the, the mother load of those, of those banks, of, of those loans. And so if you can, if you can get your teams to, to operate with speed and scale, there's a lot more business and success to, to win. And so I think that's what most executive leaders are looking to do. They're like, how, I've talked to banking leaders. I said, what are your top challenges? This is like before the pandemic, I said two, two of the top three things were speed. How do I get my teams to, to iterate faster at speed and scale? And and that's why we really put together, like we looked at our best customers and, and here we saw you know, continuous product design, this, this dissemination, this data democratization across the organization it had such a massive impact. We had a conference in February before the pandemic and 90% of our conference was talking about organizational design and, and culture and empathy around the customer, not analytics, but like, how do I get my right. team to care about the customer? And from there, success kind of presents itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, we're both in the business of, uh, we we both serve a bunch of startups who are disruptive and fast with no legacy, and also a bunch of very traditional organizations in the enterprise who are dying to transform, like, but like literally dying because if they don't, like yeah. they will die. Right. And yeah. and I have to say I love serving both, but nothing makes me more proud. And I see some of the Legos here uh, logos here. You have Alaska Airlines, Neiman Marcus. I want to talk about I- IHD. Nothing makes me more proud than helping actually an, an, a more established organization transform. Because I look at that and, and, and like you, like that's a hundred thousand jobs. That is yeah. like you know institutional you know, distribution channels and all these things that are established. Like how can we help them while we're also helping all the startups trying to disrupt them, right?
1: Yeah, startups, I mean, honestly, like you know, I remember the days, you know, Quantum was five, 10 people big. If you want to get my team aligned in a startup, call 5 people into a conference room but when you're at a big enterprise you can't call 100,000 people into the conference room and you, and you, and while you can do maybe i don't know 100,000 on a zoom but but um <laughs> but you can get people aligned at scale but not every day and so right. we can use data to get that alignment and the alignment that we really want is just are our customers having great experiences are they happy with you know our interactions with them we invest so much in call centers and and surveys and all these different ways to get feedback from customers but how do I do it in real time and how do I get it without effort? And I think that's, yeah. that's, what's exciting. So I do think that the larger enterprises, they're harder to, 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 to transform and, 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 you know, help them
0: succeed. so that it's been a pleasure to work with the largest of enterprises across the world. So you have a few logos on your website. I'm sure there's a bunch more. Um, I'd love to hear a couple of customer stories that really stand out for you. They, that when you won, you're like, yes, but more importantly. <laughs> When you you were deployed, like it was transformational for them. Yeah. I, well,
1: first of all, every win is yes. You know, that's. I mean, you, you know what it's like to be in, in you know an enterprise that's that's rapidly growing. I feel great every. I, I love. I love. Um, you know, having having that win feeling. But, but you know, I, there's so many great stories. I remember early on. Um, you know, I was so focused on that yes, like feeling really great. But early on, we were working with a customer who said, you know, Mario, I, I've been buying software for enterprises for 20 years. I have never had to get my CIO, my CMO, my CTO, my CPO in a room to decide on software. And you know what was in the back of my mind, Tony, was, did you sign it? Did you sign it? I mean, honestly, it's just like, I'm I'm so excited to like, you know, to share that win feeling that I wasn't, I didn't quite have my good listening ears. And it, it took me a little bit of time to figure out what he was really saying when he said that. And it was, you know, you're getting data across all of these different personas in the company, and it's valuable for them. So they're all weighing in on you know, is this something that they wanted to invest and work together on? So that was that was pretty cool. That that just just that story because it's 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 really come out. I will tell you, um, I've been working with uh, one of the largest telcos here in, in the U.S. I was speaking with a chief digital officer recently, and he said to me, and I just you know just this made me just it, it kind of gave me goosebumps. He's like Mario, Quantum Metric is changing the culture of our organization, and and I don't think that you can buy software that changes the culture of an organization or else. I would just sell it in magical pixie dust and stuff like that. I think it has to come from a top-down uh, you know, desire to change a culture, to change the organization the way it
0: works. Yeah, there's no bigger compliment, actually, in both of those stories. One is where you had um, the, the C-suite you know, collaboratively together, making a, a software decision. Um, that's actually been, I think, traditionally what has been wrong with how enterprise software decisions are made, how it's purchased, how it's consumed. It's sort of, we've seen the ebbs and flows of like, it's a complete IT top-down decision to, okay, now it's like line of business, just buy software on their own, doesn't even talk to IT. But like, you're able to bring those groups together. <laughs> that's that's a formula for, you know, sustainable success like in your implementation because you have the stakeholders brought in. And the fact that you're, um uh, you're interesting and important to all those stakeholders all together is, is, is a huge um, uh, kudos, I think, to what the software does, but also the fact that you are changing culture. I think that's how we look at every engagement now. And part of the reason we chose Google Cloud to be all in with is because we saw over and over again that generally speaking, the approach with Google Cloud, because sometimes it was actually the harder decision to make because it was easier to buy other stuff. Um, it was purposeful, it was disruptive and it was always deployed. Nobody bought it and didn't deploy it like some other enterprise software, but it, it more often than not, it resulted in culture change. So that's what we've seen in our customers, digital natives. can I, can I call you a digital native? I can, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Netflix is absolutely. not what metric is, <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, but also the, you know, traditional engagements. Um, but, but, you know, you are a, a not not that new as in like you were born two years ago as a company. You've been around for, for long enough to have seen other clouds and made other choices. Yeah, um, but but you're very, very invested in Google Cloud now. And, and now we're jointly we're more invested than ever on sort of our joint partnership and uh, with with Quantum Metric and Google Cloud. What led to the triangulation of 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 this decision most recently to go, you know, bigger than ever with Google Cloud and the partnership there?
1: yeah so we're actually a hundred percent in on on Google cloud and I think the story about google cloud and why it's it's been such a great partnership It really starts when we were the the tiniest of specs in the landscape of of digital natives of of uh you know software enablement platforms and it it was what was really interesting about Google was they were willing to invest in us and you know we we didn't it wasn't a it wasn't a you know venture round or something like that. They did give us 100000 dollars Google for startups is an incredible experience. But more most importantly, we had access to some of Google's best talent. So they they helped us with an, an access to incredible architects to to help us architect our solution on of you know inside of GCP. Um, I made the decision specifically, not because of a hundred thousand. In fact, every cloud has kind of an offering around the startup yeah. space, but they don't they're not all equal. Yeah. I mean, there might be some dollar amounts that could be equal but i think what was most importantly is the access to talent that i just never saw that that you know incredible investment in us but more importantly what was really what was really uh, critical for our decision making process is like you see all of these comparisons and they're all so skewed and it, and it drove me crazy so i actually invested the time to do my own analysis around performance cpu network memory most uh, most you know most companies they might not be aware of disk write io because they're just not pushing the limit of disk io for yeah. us, it was massive. We get data from 650 million users around the world on a monthly basis and petabytes and terabytes of, of, of data storage and, um, and, and query power, terabytes of, of network traffic on any given day. So it's massive scale compute. Um, and, and so that performance metric, that performance aspect of clouds was critical for our success. Google absolutely blew competition away. I, I do think that you can get to some of the disk, right? I/O speeds, for example, in other clouds, but, but I promise you, we would have been bankrupt to do it. Um, the, the, the capacity that Google gave us for, at the price point that we had, it was, um, you know, absolutely apples and oranges compared, compared to the marketplace. And so I actually ended up writing an article in Forbes, just like, Hey, look, um, and, and it was, you know, fact-checked by, by, by a team of Forbes, because i was so tired of seeing Kind of marketing materials about this cloud and that cloud's the same and, and different price points. I'm like, here's the facts. And it's just a better, less expensive cloud. And then to add on the layers of support from both architects, every time I needed help from the, the cloud team at Google, they just they absolutely over delivered. It was, it was massively you know,
0: incredible. That's so nice to hear that. I mean, you're right. Not everybody runs up to that performance you know, uh, uh, requirements. And frankly, not every uh, customer, especially in the traditional side, is making a truly engineering, cost-performance-based decision. They're making a decision based on inertia or other agreements or political pressure, whatever it might be. But I've been saying for a couple of years now, because we see it over and over again, anybody who's purely making the cloud platform decision a decision based on merit is choosing GCP every time, It's great validation um, of the technology, but also the other elements that you described are actually the soft elements, which make Mm -hmm. startups more comfortable. Even the enterprise, like yeah, it takes more than the best product actually to win an enterprise software. And you know that better than anyone. It's not like the consumer world where there's zero switching costs and the barrier to entry, whatever. Like you have to be much, much more than the best cloud to win market share. I think it was actually exciting about, you know, having,
1: you know speaking to you and, and the relationship with Google is, I think Google gets that you can sell compute and storage and all these other different services, but if you don't have a way to enable the team, if you don't have a partner like SATA that can be there every step of the way that you can count on to, to make sure that you get the value that you placed into that commit, then it doesn't really matter. And I, I think C-level executives want that confidence of, it's not a, Hey, thanks for signing the contract. I'll see you later. I'm on to the next contract. It's like, we have partners like SATA that will make sure that you're successful. They've been there. They know a playbook to, to take your teams uh, and onboard them and get the value that we've, that we've you know, kind of envisioned together. How, how do I get to that success? And I, I think that's where Google's really making you know, great strides is having a partnership with SATA, having this expansive team acro- across the world to make sure that we deliver on, you know, the, the vision that we laid out together
0: yeah no i love i love the economic model of the business that we're in because we're actually completely on the hook mario to your success yep it's it's like the work starts after you sign and we engage you know like yep. that's what the next three to five years plus 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 um it, it drives all the best incentives around the, the behavior that we all want together and that's why I love, it's almost like you know I've been around for 20 years Um, So we've seen a lot of models, but like it's like managed services, but on a much more intimate and bigger scale. Because that was the first thing we saw back in the early 2000s. I was like, oh, this aligns incentives in such a beautiful way. And I think this Cloud Managed Services MSP model does precisely the same. We can't be successful unless quantum metric is wildly successful. And we're literally on the hook for your success um, jointly with Google. And it's a beautiful model and, and I think we're just kind of scratching the surface in terms of what's possible. And I know that you're more aligned than ever with, with Google's um marketing uh, horsepower and prowess and those relationships. So um, you're, you're, you're definitely pushing that on that as well. And 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 you're really kind of the um the poster, you know, one of the poster children of their sort of ISV go to market strategy. So I'm really excited to see how that's gonna benefit um your organization and, and our partnership over the next several years.
1: Yeah, it's actually had a massive impact into our success. You know, uh, just working with so many of the of, of the Googlers um, and just connecting with 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 executives across the world. How can we deliver on their goals for this quarter, this year? Uh, it, it's been it has had a massive impact into our trajectory. But you know, I, I think the the other thing to highlight of the relationship is you know the joint Sata Google Quantum relationship has been every time I've, I've, I've had a need, like I needed to deliver on something for our mutual customers. Um, you know, Google has always stepped up to the plate. Like, Let's talk to some product managers. Let's talk about the, some of the challenges that we have in the services that we have created, the product that we've created today. How can we do better? And I've actually seen scenarios where I came to Google on a Thursday or Friday, I said, I need this. And by Monday or Tuesday, it was executed. It was it, massive changes to product. You know, massive scales. I need 100,000 CPUs in seconds, not minutes, uh, because a customer needed to go solve a certain type of problem, and we needed just massive scale compute. And they delivered on it. It was just, you know, a lot of people talk about cloud as a lift and shift opportunity, and that's just insane to me. You know, I can save some nickels and some pennies by moving to the cloud. I don't, I don't think that's why. I mean, it's great. It's great that you can save money by moving to the cloud, uh, operational costs, etc. But I think what's really exciting about moving to cloud is the art of possibility. I mean, never in the lifetime that I've had, have I had access to hundreds of thousands of CPUs that I could borrow for a second, a minute or, or you know, an hour. And I think about the world um, where we've had like, you know, things like Hadoop and all these different data, uh, data analysis systems, and you run, a, you run a, a batch and it takes you overnight. And then yeah. I get my answer. And I'll tell you, if I, if I run something at 6 p.m. and I wake up at 8 a.m. and I go look at the result, I almost forgot what question I was asking from right. the day before. But if yeah. I can a- ask a question, and let us it's the same amount of compute power, right? So whether I, I pay a dollar to have it run all overnight, or a dollar to have it execute really fast, but only for a couple seconds, I can iterate my questions more quickly and really just kind of keep that train of thought. And like the art of possibility in cloud, this is what I'm excited about. This is what's made a transformational impact to our business is like, you know, having that conversation with Google saying, hey, look, if you do this, it will make our, our business, our product, or our offering better. And it'll make our our mutual customers you know, deliver on their business value faster. It, it's just it's it just it's been amazing that journey where we can actually have that impact and make that change for our our customer. And it's really that yeah. that answering that art of possibility question. That's what I'm I'm just absolutely excited, enamored, you know, in the relationship that we keep executing, you know, along those
0: along those paths and challenges. Yeah. No. I mean, this this new leadership team last couple of years, especially, they are not messing around. They're all incredible. You know, many of them. You strategize with them. We work very closely with them. It's really fun being on this journey because of the, um, the market impact, the customer impact, really the technology, you know, we had a choice. We could have went agnostic and multi-cloud or, or whatever, but we went all in with Google for, the, for many of the same reasons you're citing um, in terms of metrics decision. Um, and I'm just really excited. And I'm really grateful for your partnership. I know we've introduced you, I think my field team, has like to some couple of very, very strategic customers of ours already. And also because like, we're very proud of what you're doing and we love your product. It's not a big ask for us. Like, yeah, of course we'll introduce you to so-and-so, you know, and um, I love that about our partnership. Uh, as you know, I'm at your service, uh, we're in this together and I look forward to uh, working with you for many years to come. And I really want to say thank you for, um, for being my guest on Cloud and Clear. T- Tony, it's it's my pleasure. Uh,
1: the relationship has been uh, just you know absolutely above expectations. So just want to thank you, the entire SATA team. Obviously, our relationship with Google has has it just continues to to grow, uh, accelerate, and get better. So uh, there's a deep thanks from our our team. We wouldn't be as successful unless Google and SATA together helped make Quantum uh, a better organization. So hats off, thank you, and uh, you know appreciate your partnership and support and, and and the friendship too. Great to have you, Mark. Thank you for listening to Cloud & Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud & Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.